This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Growth hormone deficiency is a rare condition that is the result of inadequate secretion of growth hormone from the pituitary gland. Though recombinant growth hormone has long been used to treat people with pediatric growth hormone deficiency, it requires either daily or weekly injections, and when injections are missed, results can be suboptimal. Lumos Pharma is developing a once-daily oral therapy that works by promoting secretion of growth hormone. We spoke to Rick Hawkins, chairman and CEO of Lumos, about the company's experimental therapy, how it works, and why it may be an attractive alternative to existing approaches. Rick, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about pediatric growth hormone deficiency Lumos Pharma and its effort to change the way the condition is treated by developing a once-a-day oral therapy. Let's start with the condition itself. What causes pediatric growth hormone deficiency? Well, Danny, pediatric growth hormone deficiency, or PGHD, is a disorder uh, of growth in children and adolescents. And PGHD uh, occurs when the pituitary gland does not produce the normal amount of growth hormone needed for kids to grow taller. So growth hormone is a key hormone produced in the pituitary gland and supports essential metabolic functions uh, in bone growth, among others. And there there are a lot of different causes, but it's usually divided into two categories, either organic or the severe growth hormone deficiency when patients can't produce any growth hormone at all, or idiopathic growth hormone deficiency where their pituitary axis is still functional and they produce some growth hormone, but not quite enough. At what age is it generally diagnosed and, and how, how is it diagnosed? Well, it, it's, you know, first of all, the, the incidence is about one in 3,500 children in the U.S. And, you know, it can be uh, diagnosed as early as age two or three, but typically, patients take a, a growth hormone treatment, an injectable treatment for seven to eight years of their lives. But children grow from birth to late adolescence or early adulthood. And depending on the severity of the growth hormone deficiency and the cause, you know, PGHD can be diagnosed in young children as well as adolescents. And, you know, the phenotype um, is the fact that, that children then end up with short stature where reduced height compared to their same age peers. And, you know, that 
physicians or families may uh, um, understand that they have this medical condition fairly early on when um, at different times they they're, they don't keep up with the growth with their peers or an adolescence when they, adolescents typically have a growth spurt, uh, that doesn't happen. So then they get referred to uh, a pediatric endocrinologist. Um, but there are a lot of different ways that you can be referred into uh, the medical system, but these these patients are typically re- eventually referred to uh, a specialist, a pediatric endocrinologist. But you know, once they get to the pediatric endocrinologist, then they can do certain kinds of lab tests. But also, they get an X-ray to check to make sure that their their bones or their growth plates or their epiphyses are still open, and, and to see exactly where they are in their in their growth or how much more growth they have to go. Um, and and uh, then they they essentially get get uh, uh, referred uh, fairly easily into the system to to a, a pediatric endocrinologist. Beyond being short, what are the effects of the condition, and how necessary is it to treat? Well, uh, the main effect is delayed linear growth or growing taller, slower than expected for your age and sex. And, but in addition to short stature, other uh, effects such as growth failure, delayed puberty can also occur. Uh, occur. In other words, uh, other metabolic effects. And, but because linear growth stops in sort of late adolescent, early adulthood, there's a limited window of opportunity to treat these patients with PGHD. And so if treatment is, is delayed, a child may not achieve their, you know, their maximum growth potential and be shorter than their adult peers, which, you know, and ultimately can, can uh, cause some significant, uh, you know, psychosocial distress in many children. One of the earliest products of the biotech industry was recombinant human growth hormone. How effective has this been at treating the condition? Well, recombinant growth hormone was uh, made available now almost uh, 40 years ago, and it it is uh, an effective treatment, but it's burdensome. It's because you got to take daily uh, injections, and until recently, there's one company that's come on the market with a weekly injection, which can be painful and, you know, also cause quite a bit of distress in a child. Um, But it also doesn't restore the natural pulse tower release of growth hormone. Um, uh, that, that our drug does, and I maybe can go into that a little bit later. But even weekly in, in injections uh, as an, uh, of recombinant growth hormone as an option arrived on the market only last year. And while these, you know, injections, um, you know, it, it really decreases the overall injection burden, it does not eliminate it. But I can just say that, that the kids just don't like injections. So, you know, our initial market research kind of supports a, a, a very good, you know, appetite for an oral therapy versus a, a, even a weekly injection. And that was a, a survey taken of, of uh, pediatric endocrinologists, but also uh, of families. Lumos lead experimental therapy is LUM201 or ibutamorin. This is not a hormone replacement therapy, but a once-a-day pill that stimulates production of human growth hormone. How does it work? So our, our drug is, is not a formulation uh, of, of growth hormone. It, it's a small molecule that stimulates production of growth hormone 
in the pituitary. It's natural. In other words, uh, it's, it's what we call a growth hormone secretagogue. It acts on a specific, it agonizes a specific receptor in the hypothalamus and the pituitary and then increases the natural, you know, production of growth hormone. Um, in other words, you, you make your own growth hormone and we, we stimulate the further production of it. And, and that's important because this feedback loop, this, this pulsatile release of growth hormone happens naturally 23 to 25 times a day. And all we do is increase the amplitude of each one of those pulsatile releases in a 24 hour period. Um, and, and so our, our, our really stays within the, you know, the natural physiology of, of a person's body. Merck was originally developing this. How did Lumos come to develop it? Well, uh, Merck stopped developing it and put it on the shelf. Uh, but I can tell you it, it was designed to do exactly as, uh, it was purported to do, uh, in, or, or show in the, in, in studies. They initially studied it in about a thousand elderly and the drug, uh, as I said, did exactly as it was supposed to do. It restored actually growth hormone levels to a late 20 year old, early 30 year old in these uh, elderly folks. And they were studying it for indications such as sarcopenia or, or muscle wasting and aging. Uh, essentially the FDA told them, uh, that they had no regulatory pathway because these were um, you know, natural causes of, of and, and indications or, or uh, symptoms of aging. And um, so, therefore, they had no regulatory pathway, and they put it on the shelf. Um, uh, their advisor at the time was a renowned uh, endocrinologist, Michael Thorner at University of Virginia. He was also my advisor at the same time when I was developing another drug called Somovert for the opposite problem called acromegaly. And Michael uh, was able to essentially um, license this drug from Merck. And Michael then called me, and uh, that's when we started on a full development plan. You alluded to the fact that there can be different causes of the growth deficiency. The body, in some cases, may be unable to produce growth hormone. What percent of patients with pediatric growth hormone deficiency might benefit from this approach? Well, the range of, of growth hormone deficiency uh, is quite wide. You know, as I said, they're, they're those severe organic patients who don't make any growth hormone or their, their axis is just not working at all. Those patients should be on recombinant growth hormone. But those patients with moderate growth hormone deficiency still have an intact pituitary that still can make some growth hormone, but they just don't make enough. Uh, our our uh, compound will treat, and that's uh, essentially more, about 60% uh, of the market. What's known about ibutamorin from studies that have been conducted to date? Ibutamorin has been thoroughly evaluated by Merck. They've uh, conducted uh, numerous toxicology studies, uh, both um, uh, in, 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 also in juvenile animals, but they've studied it in adults and children and they revealed no safety concerns. And this has been exposed to over in 1,000 adults and about 300 children. There was interim data from a phase two study that compared ibutamorin to recombinant human growth hormone factors that suggested the drug didn't perform as well. What happened and how concerning was the interim analysis? Well, in, in, the, in the Merck study, uh, Merck included 
uh, those patients this drug would not work in. They didn't understand the, the, the biology at the time. So they included those severe uh, organic patients who don't make any growth hormone and, and a secreted god our compound uh, will not work in that patient population. But when we did a sub-analysis of the, uh, the data and took those patients out that had severe growth hormone deficiency, the drug uh, uh, showed equivalency uh, uh, to a, a standard dose of growth hormone. And that's at 0.8 mg per kg a, a day. What's the development path forward? So our, our, our path clearly was uh, looking at the, uh, the results of the, of the Merck study in, in PGHD uh, patients. And uh, we understood that the Merck just didn't give a high enough dose. So we started with um, 20 patients and, and one arm of a study that started with that 0.8 that Merck used. Then we doubled it in another arm of 20 patients with 1.6 mg per kg a day. Uh, and then the third arm, we quadrupled at 3.2 mg per kg a day versus another, the, the final arm of 20 patients who took a standard dose of recombinant growth hormone. And the, the endpoint is height velocity is six months, then annualized. And, and, um, uh, and that's the design of the study where we, we released interim results. We were quite pleased with those interim, interim results. Uh, there was one arm uh, in the growth hormone arm. There were uh, two patients who who uh, were the youngest, uh, two youngest patients in the study. And uh, endocrinologists know that the younger the patient, the greater the height velocity. So there are two uh, outliers in in uh, uh, in the interim release of the data uh, uh, in November. Um, but clearly, uh, as more patients have been entered and we've just now announced a completed enrollment, there, the, the, uh, uh, there's been greater balance in, in those arms, and especially as we stratify by age into the other arms uh, of the study. Recombinant human growth hormone is approved for use in a number of rare conditions beyond pediatric growth hormone deficiency. This includes such things as Turner syndrome and Prader-Willi syndrome and more. How broadly applicable might ibutamorin be, and, and what's the plan for pursuing other indications? Well, Danny, we, we have engaged the, uh, the growth hormone community worldwide, and, and uh, I think we're, we know that we have a chance for a number of indications, but we really at this point have narrowed it down to idiopathic short stature, or ISS, ISS with a focus on the Asian market because that, that market is growing um, so rapidly in, in that indication. Uh, and then also Prader-Willi syndrome. It's a genetic syndrome characterized in part by poor growth and short stature. And that's where we're going to focus um, uh, next. But I can tell you PGHD uh, and getting uh, the final results from from uh, this current study is our complete focus uh, in, in designing a phase three study going forward. A lot, a lot, like a lot of biotech stocks, Lumos is down considerably from its high. It's trading around 360 today with a, a market cap of about $30 million. How far will existing cash take you and what's the plan for raising additional capital? 
Well, we're obviously an undervalued stock. I mean, we're we're uh, trading much below cash, and here we are with an interim result and in a phase two study, and getting ready to to um, release results in the uh, fourth quarter of this year uh, on um, a full result on a full eighty patients on drug for at least six months. Um, we we're, we will report final results from the study in a full eighty patients in the fourth quarter of this year. And that allows us to have an, uh, enough cash uh, to go into the third quarter of, of uh, uh, next year. So that gives us uh, plenty of time to uh, not only uh, tabulate these results, but, but uh, also we, we've really decided on 1.6 mix per kg a day as our dose. So all the advanced planning for that phase three study is, is progressing. Rick Hawkins, chairman and CEO of Lumos Pharma. Rick. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate your time, too. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The BioReport, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.